Welcome to another Matrix Care podcast from the software leaders for out-of-hospital and long-term care providers. I'm Dr. Vore, Director of Enterprise Interoperability at Matrix Care and host for this episode. Matrix Care is dedicated to sharing knowledge and building awareness among providers across the spectrum, from home care to skilled nursing to senior living and life plan community. Today's episode is Naveen Gupta, Vice President of Home Care Solutions for Matrix Care, chatting with our special guest, Scott Stewie, President and CEO of Direct Trust, and a pretty good guitarist and songwriter. Naveen, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Doc. Uh, interoperability, uh, it's the ability to exchange, uh, in our context, clinical information in a secure and timely manner to improve um, care delivery um, in what I consider, you know, to be really a fragmented healthcare system. And there are many uh, contributing organizations that pitch the infrastructure to make this possible. Many of you on the provider side may already be using some of these key technologies, but really unaware who powers them, and more importantly, who keeps it secure. Really, there is no interoperability without security, and if you think about it, there is no security without trust being first established. One piece of sort of secure technology beginning to form the backbone of information exchange is direct. And direct, um, you know, is, is this, and we'll get more into it, it's the HIPAA compliance, it's this transport method, and it's being promoted by the Health and Human Services. Um, and so we will be chatting with Scott. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Direct Trust. Welcome, Scott. Well, it's great to be here, Naveen. Thanks for having me. Scott, before we get to learning more about Direct Trust, I know, you know, we, we had an opportunity to briefly e-meet a few months ago, and just I am personally just amazed by such incredible health IT leadership and, the, and folks that are really working to shape the infrastructure for our healthcare system. So with that, Scott, you know, oftentimes we begin by chatting with our guests about their origin story. So share with us a little bit about your journey in healthcare and how did you get to direct trust? Gosh, it's such a circuitous journey. I will do the short version of being I. Um, so yeah. uh, I spent 24 years at Cerner Corporation. So um, that, uh, so beginning in 93, you know, when you think about 93, this is uh, really kind of before the web. It's, you know, at the dawn of the internet, it's, uh, and way before the health information technology industry became what it is today, certainly uh, before people even knew what an electronic health record uh, system was. Um, so that was kind of my beginnings. Um, so I kind of grew up watching the electronic health record business get built. Um, and But my first job actually there was as an interface guy. So making two systems talk to each other, um, mostly mm -hmm. talk laboratory to laboratory. So a lot of... Uh, and that was kind of the early uh, interfaces that were being done in those days. So um, uh, labs needed to communicate results back and forth. So <clears throat> orders results round trip, we used to call it. So that's what I did way mm -hmm. back in the beginning. And then uh, worked a lot of years at Cerner on kind of the new, new thing, uh, closely with the founders of the organization, uh, developing um, network models for um, you know, providers, um, also uh, early cloud deployment kind of stuff but all the while kind of focusing in on this notion of how does the data get from where it is to where it needs to go in order to make um, care work. So um, that's kind yes. of 
the core of the interoperability story. So my last three years at CERN, I worked on um, the um, the uh, uh, Commonwealth Health Alliance exercise with, uh, with Cerner. And so I drove um, adoption of that in the Cerner environment as well as with uh, health systems generally. And so um, I spent a, had a lot of uh, good uh, kind of exposure to that, uh, that effort. Um, and so then I spent about a year out of Cerner. Um, I took a voluntary separation and people thought I was retired, but I was not. Um, and, uh, then uh, I, was, uh, I was recruited to come back to, uh, uh, to the interoperability space um, uh, by the, the folks at Direct Trust. So, um, and I think their interest in me was certainly my background in uh, the electronic health record business, but also uh, my knowledge of, uh, of what, you know, uh, Commonwealth Health Alliance as well as Direct Trust are both, um, they're both 501c6s. They're both um, uh, trade associations. And in that way, yeah. they have uh, similar, uh, similar uh, organizational bones. So that's kind of how I got here. Uh, the story of how I got here from the food business and the music business, that's a, a story for another time. <laughs> Thank you, Scott, for sharing that. You know, we, um, you know, closely, you know, we work with Commonwealth, certainly with Cerner. We've got many relationships in common and uh, really just, you know, appreciate those organizations. Um, I had an opportunity, you know, Scott, to, to read your six-part blog series uh, that you've been doing over the last few months. So with the pandemic, I guess you found a little bit more time to do some writing. And I really found it very educational. There was one very powerful, compelling quote that caught my attention, and it said, trust cannot be legislated or manufactured. Trust is earned by demonstrating ongoing reliability. Trust isn't taken on faith, and it can be lost in a moment when foundational conditions change. And you have some examples of Facebook losing its trust, essentially, with the Cambridge Analytica um, issue several years ago, and then Equifax, um, you know, with records, about 135 million records being, being impacted. Uh, so so it, was, it was really pretty powerful. So with that, help, us, uh, help the audience understand a little bit more about Direct Trust and what do you do? Right. Well, so Direct Trust, um, if you think about, I mentioned we're a trade association. So we have uh, members that are um, interoperability companies. Um, and they um, they are operating in a federated um, network, so they basically allow for the exchange of direct messages between you know, the 2.4 million uh, endpoints that are enabled. Really, what we do though is policy. Uh, we do policy and governance, and in the absence of uh, policies, everybody agrees to a sort of a rules of the road. Um, Trust is really hard to establish. And so this is the reason why um, the organization exists. It is an opportunity for organizations who are a part of this interoperability uh, network that we employ uh, to get together and identify the, the, the rules that we all are going to abide by. Um, these rules kind of were built uh, initially uh, in collaboration with the uh, with Health and Human Services and the ONC um, in the, you know, starting in the kind of the 2011 timeframe and kind of built, built mm -hmm. right up through today. 
we continue to um, you know morph and tighten those uh, those regulations as needed uh, in order to make it possible for this group of players to um, to trust one another and for their clients to trust that the information that they're getting on this network is safe. Um, so it's that uh, it's the um, the technical aspect of the trust that is enabled by um, you know the technical uh, uh, underpinnings of uh, of technical trust, which always includes digital certificates, so people kind of understand that. Right. But then the the idea that the the policies that govern how that will work that is really what direct trust is is about. Uh, we. Uh, we, we create those policies and, in, and it, as needed, we'll actually, um, uh, you know, enforce those policies. And we do so, you know, without, you know, a governmental, uh, you know, we would certainly have go governmental relationships, but we're not, um, we're not a part of the government. So we're, we are managing that as an independent governance organization, an independent policy body. And that's really our, our role, is to make sure that uh, in, informa information interoperability can happen in a way that people feel is safe. Um, and uh, the, the parties that are a part of that help develop that, those policies so that they know what's, you know what's realistic to do, but also what will make their, their clients and their clients' clients comfortable. Um, so it's, uh, that, I hope that helps maybe, I hope that uh, didn't confuse things. No, no, I, I think that's helpful, right? I think if you if you boil it down, it is it is the policy and governance that enables right these um, these players that provide the infrastructure for information exchange to be secure and to be trusted. And think about it: if we if your organization did not exist, there are a couple of problems. A is you know how do how do you ensure that the information that's going over truly uh, you know really is to the right provider is for the right patient has not been uh, changed in any particular way and ultimately if you think about it it, it is it boils down to the security enables the right care to be delivered to the right person at the right time so uh, it's it's very needed and um, you know and I know it works in the background you know so providers may not necessarily see it they, they benefit from it clearly uh, the work that you do uh, but um, you know, I think I think it was very helpful for you to share that. So in that context, Scott, maybe you can help us understand. I know most providers they they are beginning to understand more and more about interoperability. They work with uh, providers upstream and downstream, as not only just referral information is flowing, but you know the the continuity of care documents that are being exchanged as well. So. In terms of working with HIEs, Commonwealth, care equality, uh, think about. Um, you know, the eHealth initiative, the Sequoia project, there's a number of organizations that are playing around in the interop space. How does direct trust intersect or complement these various organizations? Well, first, direct secure messaging specifically is a, is a push message. Uh, so when you think about the difference between um, Commonwealth and care quality, uh, mostly work in the space around query, which is, I like to think of this as the patient is in front of me, can I get a hold of their records? So that's the, uh, mm -hmm. that's the query use case in a, in a sentence. But for, uh, for direct messaging, the, the, the use case for push messaging is, um, this is what I would like you to know about our patient. Uh, so um, 
So when you're talking about a referral, uh, the idea is to curate a set of information that's of interest to the downstream provider and then send it to that provider and say, here's what, if, you, if you're going to treat the patient for what I think you need to um, you know, rule out or evaluate for them, here's what I think you're going to need based on what I've already done. Um, that is actually right. fundamentally different. And, and so what direct is really useful for is that it allows for First of all, you can package up a lot of information in a direct message, a lot of different documents, in addition to the yes. standardized documents that might come out of an electronic health record system. You can also drop in all sorts of other things that would be of interest to a downstream provider. So that's, um, I think that's what's different about direct secure messaging from query in general. The other thing that's important okay. is that for push messaging, what's really fundamentally necessary when you think about what's really tricky here is that trust in identity, like who is this I'm sending to? And I can I trust in that in fact that they, they are who they say they are. The unique thing about direct messaging is you're operating inside your system. You're using a function of your system. You don't log into the other system. You are literally sending a message from your system to the other system without logging into that other system. And that's, when you think about it, that's actually requires a lot of trust. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. I let you write into my system? You know, that's like, that just sounds terribly frightening, right? So the, what, the other thing that we do that is unique is we, uh, we pay gr a great deal of attention to the, uh, the identity of the individual or the organization that is sending and receiving the message so that the sender mm -hmm knows that only the receiver, the intended receiver, can decrypt the message. That's built into the technical fabric of what it is we do. Um, so, um, and that is supported by this identity proofing process that um, our community makes certain that everybody who's in this uh, environment, all 2.42 million of those endpoints have been identity proofed at an appropriate level. That's, that is the fundamental difference. Um, we also, the other I think there, there's, if there's one other difference that, uh, that I think I'd want to call out, um, Direct is really the only one of these um, systems that actually manages down to the level of the individual. Um, in other words, we're the only one of the, um, of the communication mechanisms today that, you know, where you can literally send to an individual and know it's the individual that's receiving it, um, as opposed to models like um, uh, you know, Commonwealth or care quality, which are mostly from gateway to gateway. You, you really may only know that you've reached um, a given electronic health record company. Um, and then it's kind of left behind, it's behind the scenes to figure out, well, get to the right practice and get to the right doctor in the right practice. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that it doesn't work, it does, but uh, the difference is direct trust manages the, uh, that identity and that uh, assurance down to the individual level, and that's we're the only one of the um, initiatives that does that. Yeah, Scott, that's that's very helpful. So clearly, I mean, they are, you know, complementary roles being played. I think I love the distinction between query and push. Uh, there's obviously needs for the provider in many cases where you know, yes, you want to query. There's some use cases around that, and certain cases, as you said, you're pushing information downstream and, you know, you need to have those technologies supported. But in, in many of these cases, in fact, all of these cases, the, the trust establishing needs to be there and the technology that supports it. And that's where 
your organization really comes in and, and what you're really able to do. Yeah. So we talk a lot about direct. Um, you know, many people use it. It's very seamless. It's almost like email. And I know there's a lot of technical distinction and what it does. Obviously, email, you know, SMTP, not very secure. Uh, <clears throat> so talk to us a little bit about uh, sort of the next evolution. I, I know you're, you're working on standards around direct instant messaging. Instant messaging itself is, is uh, being accelerated, particularly now with the pandemic and uh, the need for digital solutions, uh, a lot of um, potentially non-secure systems may be in use. What, how is direct instant messaging evolving? You know, has the standard been rolled out? Have there been any draft implementations? What can you share with us uh, around that? Yeah, really exciting new stuff here. So um, the, the business problem from my perspective is, is the following. I mean, I think, as you say, everybody in this in the pandemic has been getting used to a bunch of different platforms, right? So, um, you know, Zoom and GoToMeeting and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft Teams, some of these are utilized, you know, kind of in a, you know, freewheeling business context for the purposes of managing meetings. And they really weren't designed for healthcare use, right? So, um, and yet people are absolutely using them now for, for telehealth and- yeah. So these virtualization platforms, that I, I like, kind of like, like to call them that, because the goal is to try and make it possible for people to participate as though they're present, even though they're not, right? So the, 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 um, the, what, what I, the placelessness of the internet is getting expanded to include mm -hmm. of these, of, these um, of, uh, of uh, interactions that are uh, of the nature, you know, interactive in nature, as opposed to um, asynchronous. So a message that we send by direct is, you know, here it is and you're gonna pick it up later, um, as opposed to something that's where I literally have a direct connection to someone for text and video and audio communication. These kinds of platforms, the challenge that we're seeing is that as electronic health record users want to utilize these virtualization platforms, they also wanna be able to integrate those virtualization capabilities in their electronic health record systems, right? So they, right. they, they might actually get it from their EHR vendor. There might be a uh, virtualization platform built right in. But if that's the case, how many of those are you gonna have? I mean, we all have this experience of bouncing back and forth between these various platforms and each of them are a little bit different. Yeah. And so if I spend time and money training my staff and doing integration between my virtualization platform and my electronic health record system, how many of those systems am I going to integrate with? Well, I'm going to integrate with one, <laughs> right? And right. so the idea right. then becomes, how do those virtualization platforms talk to each other across platforms? So that's what uh, direct secure instant messaging is all about. Um, which is really, when you think about it, the same sort of problem you're trying to solve with direct messaging, where right out of mm -hmm. my system, I'm able to talk to the other guy in the other system or the other person in the other system without, um, you know, without having to leave my workflow. And I think that's uh, a really key part of this. But the other aspect of this is security. So the security of these platforms is entirely dependent on being inside that one platform. So you'll have a yeah. platform state, oh, we're HIPAA compliant, which actually, in point of fact, doesn't really mean a lot, <laughs> but um, but because uh, there's really nobody who's stamping a, you know, a certification on them for that purpose. 
However, um, what you know, what you really need to do is have the technical cap capacity and then the governance that says, okay, they've actually implemented that technical capacity accurately so that there is, in fact, security. Um, so that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to enable. So the same sort of um, assurance that you have that you are, in fact, talking to who you think you are and that when you communicate, only the, in, the intended recipient can be the one you're talking to and the, the yeah. traffic is encrypted. So there's no communication, there's no potential for, um, for you know, kind of spoofing that on the, in the center and pulling that data out because this is data of the most secure and, um, you know, particularly as people utilize uh, this for things like behavioral health, for example, where, you know, they're, mm -hmm. this kind of information is not the kind of information you want, um, you know, broadly available. And yet you want to be able to communicate it between, you know, the patient and the provider, between providers as appropriate. Um, you know, that, that's essential, but you can't, you, you wouldn't want to do it in a way that might uh, make it available for uh, folks to post on the internet. <laughs> and so that's the, that is, I think, the, the key thing. And in terms of where we are on it, this, yeah. this um, we have just announced, uh, we're just getting ready to announce that the, um, uh, the, we're in a draft standard for trial use setting. Now, as uh, Direct Trust is an ANSI accredited um, trust uh, or ANSI accredited standards development organization, and so we're taking the this through the ANSI process, but it is just in, in uh, standard for trial use, and we're looking for people to download that um, that reference implementation, play with it, kick the tires, see what they think, and tell us uh, participate frankly in our standards effort to improve it and make it make it the thing it needs to be. So. Um, I expect um, we're going to have a connectathon and kind of in the in the fall time frame and uh, really very excited about this. I think this is a big piece of where we're headed. Um, I think it, it's an, an essential element that is absent from our interoperability thinking so far. Yeah. Wow. I, so the timing of it is is great. Um, you know, I, I'd love for for our organization to see how we can be involved. Obviously. Um, you know, I think, it, it, as you said, the, the what you've described as a virtualized platform, the adoption uh, and making sure that it's happening, um, how do we really ensure that, again, within our care settings, within providers, within healthcare, that uh, all of the benefits of really using the, the secure infrastructure is in place and that, that is, it, it works seamlessly, uh, clearly, but uh, more importantly, that it, it remains secure. So. Thanks for sharing that, um, Scott. You know, you and I we chatted a little about about this, and even today, just listening to you, uh, I'm sure providers are wow. The, you know, maybe they're they're first in production. Clearly, they're using uh, you know many of the technologies that are involved in it. How you know for for those providers that may not really be using direct, uh, what sort of conversation should they be having with their EHR vendors? Uh, how how do they begin to start you know sort of pushing uh, again, you know, pushing in this direction to say, you know, we want interoperability, we want secure interoperability, you know, direct seems to play a role in here. You know, how, how do we equip them to begin to have these conversations with the EHR vendors? Well, the first thing is a lot of, of providers actually are utilizing these and have no idea they are. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the problem that we're having, one of the challenges that we have in, uh, in the direct community is that the different EHR uh, companies have called it different things. So, um, and each one of the, so if you don't think you have uh, direct messaging, 
um, talk to your to your EHR company and ask about it. My guess is you may. Um, the most of the well, all of the certified healthcare um, uh, technology is you know which um, you know and um, you know pretty much all of the ambulatory and inpatient settings. The you know the the non-post-acute uh, areas had an obligation to implement direct, both for uh, push and for and for um, for acceptance of those pushes. So sending yeah. receiving messages was a requirement for many. Now, what's happening now, of course, is that the um, the post-acute space is also getting into this uh, because, frankly, all of the you know all of the other players in the all of the, the rest of the care team has this capability, and so. Um, I know that uh, you know Matrix Care and uh, the, the other platforms inside the Matrix Care umbrella are um, are part of uh, you know support this process and and do uh, uh, push messaging via direct messaging, uh, but all the various platforms call it something different. <laughs> so getting to know how your system works, um, making sure that from a referral standpoint when you receive referrals. That you have an understanding how that how that system how your system can be configured to make that work in the best way possible. So ask your yeah. HR vendor. Make sure your HR vendor knows that you value uh, the ability to communicate with um, outside uh, partners, care partners, uh, you know, electronically, and that um, and that you really want to understand how this works in your system. Uh, so get a good understanding of what you have, and if you don't have what you think you should have. Um, you know, basically advocate for that with your healthcare provider, your um, your EHR provider, because they, those organizations, I think, are most attentive to their clients. Um, they, yep. they they listen to the government and do that work first, of course, because they have to, they're obligated to, but clients are really who they listen to. So you are there, uh, can tell them what you need. So um, that, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, that's great, Scott. And, you know, as, as you're aware, I mean, referrals are the lifelines for providers and the ability to electronically exchange referrals. Um, you know, upstream providers are likely to switch, you know, who their choice of downstream, um, you know, care settings and providers are depending on whether they have these interoperability and whether they have these direct secure messaging interfaces that are available. So the providers to be not on the losing end, they've got to be having conversations with their EHRs to ensure that these technologies and everything that you just described, the infrastructure that's available, that these EHR vendors are maximizing their, their integration and adoption of these technologies ultimately to serve um, the providers and, and be able to provide better outcomes for the patients and for residents. So um, thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you taking time to really educate us, educate uh, providers, particularly in post-acute, of what you do and how important it is to really have this trust uh, infrastructure in place to enable this digital communication and interoperability uh, between all of these various care settings. So, uh, Scott, any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Yeah, so the, the other thing that w the Direct Trust is actively working to, to do, and I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to mention this, is that we believe that this same sort of trust fabric is required for an awful lot of what it is that's thought of about the future. So um, for, for FIRE and for other kind of um, communications over the Internet, 
trust, trust and identity, knowing who you're talking to, and at, at, a, at a high level of granularity, like, is this exactly the person that I want to talk to across the internet? That yeah. is probably a really important element. We believe that we have a big role to play in that space. So that's, uh, we're looking to kind of generalize our thinking around how um, that trust net, uh, platform could be utilized to do more than just uh, send messages back and forth, but to uh, for instance, uh, declare that a given set of content is correct or true or mine, uh, those kinds of things are um, the, the kinds of things that a trust fabric like ours is good for. So, um, you know, for credentialing or for, um, uh, for a trusted directory or for, you know, those kinds of things that you need to know are in fact true, um, that's another use for, uh, for a trust fabric like direct trust. It's the identity of the uh, individual that says that it's true that matters the most. It's, it's trust and identity that's at the core of the question of trust. Thank you, Scott. You know, thank you for sharing the broader vision. Uh, we really look forward to continuing to just hear about the evolution. Uh, you know, we, uh, particularly in post-acute matrix scale, we're committed to interoperability, to security, to trust and identity, different things that you've already talked about, and we really look forward to continue to work with your organization. Thanks for making time, Scott. Back to you, Doc. Well, thank you, Scott and Naveen. This concludes today's episode of the Matrix Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at www.matrixcare.com for more information on our products and services. We'd love to hear from you. Give us feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to let us know how to improve the podcast or give us future topics you'd like to see discussed. On behalf of Matrix Care and today's guest, thanks for listening, and we hope to have you back for another episode of the Matrix Care Podcast.